Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hello and welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. Hello, hi, welcome. Hello, if you're new, uh, it's so delightful to have you here if you have returned. Well, hello again. So nice to see you as well. You look great. A couple of things going on on Basic Folk. We have the Basic Folk Knit Hat. It is available now. You can check my website, cindyhouse.net, if you're not familiar Uh, My mom, who is an expert knitter, has made these really wonderful knit hats just in time for winter chill that have the Basic Folk logo on them. There are pictures on the website. It's uh, a very exciting time. CindyHouse.net is where you can find that. Also, in other news, I have yet to post anything about this, but I will tell you that December 9th, we're doing another Basic Folk Live at Club Passim in Harvard Square in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, and I am very excited to be welcoming Dinty Child of Session Americana. Uh, Dinty has his own solo record coming out, so that'll be great. Uh, Dinty Child will be performing as well as Rachel Lynn, who is a very talented singer-songwriter who I met in Pittsburgh. She's originally from Georgia. And she now lives in Denver. So pumped to be uh, having her come out December 9th, Club Passim. Um, and I will be, po- I'll post some stuff about it. But you can also check Club Passim's website for tickets and all that. And uh, going back to the hats, my mom and I recently drove out to Webb's in Northampton. If you are a yarn aficionado, you'll know that Webb's is like a museum of yarn. And we uh, got some new colors for Basic Folk Hats, which will be debuted at Club Passim on December 9th. Right now we have a bunch of gray ones that are really soft and cool looking, but if you're more of a color person, then wait until December 9th, and then we'll uh, we'll get some of those posted on the website so you can see what they look like. And still, she'll be the one picking the color for you. You just have to note if you don't like a particular color, and then she'll avoid that. I'll make sure she sees the note. Moving on, today on the podcast, we are very happy to have Leif Volabek, who comes from Montreal, or lives in Montreal, originally from Ottawa. Uh, Leif's emotional delivery creates a world of color in my mind when I hear his music and when I think about his music. So it's not surprising that he has a condition called, let me see if I can say it, I probably can't say it correctly and I don't want to mess it up. Synesthesia is what Leaf has. So that's a perceptual condition in which a stimulation of one sense automatically triggers an involuntary experience in another sense. So Leaf sees colors when he hears music. Therefore, his music invokes a really colorful emotion. Like I said, he was raised in Ottawa. He inherited a few instruments from family members and started playing. Um, After graduating from college, Leif spent uh, time absorbing the landscape and culture of Iceland, which makes a lot of sense. Upon returning to Canada, he moved to Montreal, where he lives now. We touch on all sorts of topics in our conversation. This was really fun to talk to him. Um, He really opened up about his synesthesia, um, and it was interesting to hear about how he discovered he had it and how he relates to other people who have it. And he said he can tell right away if another musician has the condition, which I'll definitely be keeping an ear out now that he's clued us in on uh, certain distinctions of the condition. Hope you enjoy this. We're going to hear a song from Leaf's lovely new album, New Ways, just came out at the beginning of November. 
This song is called Transatlantic Flight, and then we'll get to our conversation with Leif Volabek on Basic Folk. Before sunrise I'm dazed and confused Just like Julie Delby Lay say do I wanna see you roll your eyes in a televised interview. I wanna make you mine. I wanna make you mine. All right. First of all, Leif Volebeck, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. And sorry it's been such a, I don't know, such a circus, like, <laughs> getting uh, to this point. This is being on tour is kind of circusy. Whenever you try to organize something, it's like, well, yeah, what might happen. <laughs> right, right. And I can't believe it's actually happening. Um, and and I've, um, I think, like, just being a music, being a musician on tour, the fact that you're able to be like nice to anybody because you have so much going on, I think is, is a feat in and of itself. That's uh, so, interesting. Yes. <laughs> I, I think you don't get very far if you're not nice to people. On yeah. Tour. It's well, that's, pretty gross. That's a good, yeah, that's, that's a good outlook to have. First of all, let's see, you're originally from Ottawa, which I've never been to, but was looking up pictures of Ottawa and it looks beautiful. Um, well, it's very was... photogenic. Yeah. Oh my God, it is so photogenic. Yeah. Um, what was that city like for you growing up? Uh, what was it like? Uh, it the uh, the the short end of the the short of it is that there's a the Rideau Canal is the best part about it, and it freezes in the winter. Yeah, and uh, you can skate. It's like it becomes like the largest skating rink in the world in the winter because it's so long, and um. You can just go skating from one end to the other, and it's the best thing in the world. That's probably the best part of it. That's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so nice. So growing up, yeah, but I, but I didn't grow up downtown. So I was like I was like in the on the w- west side burbs. So I kind of like like the had suburbs. Like a, mm-hmm, I had like a a no. Uh, and there weren't a lot of kids around, and so I had like a kind of an empty <laughs> an empty baseball diamond that I'd go hang out in with my brother. And uh, and then I ended up making a lot of music, I think, because there wasn't much going on. And it was. I had nice. a childhood like that growing up, where it was just like me and my brother and no other kids around. It's kind of a weird. I liked it. Childhood. Yeah. My brother's the best. So it was like pretty pretty chill. Yeah. Is he older? Yeah, he's three years older. He's he's oh, he's cool. Yeah, he's 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 killer. So it was nice, you know. Uh, your mom's side of the family had some musicians. Is that right? And you inherited their instruments. Yeah, my dad, uh, my my dad, her dad, and all his brothers were like uh, grew up in northern Ontario, French Canadians, doing a lot of. Uh, I know I didn't ever really I didn't ever played music with them or, or anything. My grandpa died when I was six, but yeah, basically my electric guitar, my violin, my acoustic guitar, one point a piano. Just no one else in the mu- in the family was playing music, and there weren't any other kids, so I got those instruments. Yeah, even an amp, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. did you get them? I I was slowly I would go visit like family, and they'd be like, "Oh, like my great uncle, my grandpa's brother was like at one point he was like, I can't play. I have so much arthritis right now. Like, do you want this guitar? And it's like this beautiful Harmony Rebel. It's like avocado green, like sunburst. If you can have a sunburst in green, that's cool. Yeah, and he's like, you can take it. And uh, and I was like, are you sure? And it was like this. <laughs> just played it for years i don't play it so much anymore because it doesn't cut when i play with the band but for years i toured with it and i still tour with my grandpa's guitar um yeah they, they're all sears catalog guitars like uh <laughs> they would order them from the catalog so they're all harmony i guess that's the the sears brand oh okay yeah cool. but but they're like they sound great i don't like guitars that sound too good because then they i don't know they sound too good and then they sound douche douchey 
I know what you I know what you're talking about. I had this friend that was talking about like having like a real wow guitar. Mm-hmm. That like it was a bad thing, you know. Oh yeah. No, it's not I don't know. And I was actually like thinking about it and uh and, ta- and I talked to someone else about it and they agreed with me and we uh, before I mentioned it so I was like I was like a they also had the same theory as me so we like met eye to eye on it it was that like in the in the old days like just say that you're on a Stax record or something or Motown you've got like the best Telecaster going through the best amp and then you've got this old cruddy microphone going on to like <laughs> tape and then the tape got pressed and it was live in a room and then it got pressed to vinyl so you have like all of these like uh, degrading uh, your signals just getting degraded first it goes to tape so there's no high end or like a little mm. bit is like chopped off and the and the, the low end is kind of boosted and then you're like kind of in a room with other people so it's a bit like washy and so we're used to hearing actually kind of a distorted and like mangled guitar tones and mm. that's what sounds good and now everything's digital if you get a top of the line perfect telly going through a perfect amp and you record it digitally you're going to hear these frequencies that no one's ever heard in recorded music before like 1993 or something. And so I think that in a weird way, having a bad guitar sounds like a good guitar going to tape, getting pressed to vinyl, and then you can record it hi-fi and it, it still has the warmth. Because like, anyhow, I, 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 someone else, I forget who I was talking to, they were like, I agree with you. Like, oh yeah, there's this engineer in Montreal. Anyhow, yeah, so anyhow, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just find that that's my little theory. <laughs> I love it. That's a good theory. Um, as a teenager, you discovered the music of Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and Lou Reed, while also discovering a connection with the writings of the Beat Generation authors like Allen Ginsberg and Charles Bukowski. So how did those artists' work start to shape your approach to your own music or just the world in general? Um. Well, those are like the first people where you're like, you start listening to them and you're like, oh my God, this is, this, these, these songs are like, they stretch out way beyond the page, way beyond the four minutes that they're in. They're like, they're, they're Mm -hmm. somehow distilling an entire universe into like four minutes of recorded music. And every time you hear them, it grows. And as you change, the songs change with you. And it's just, but I'm specifically thinking about like, uh, the Neil Young record, Rust Never Sleeps. Like, like some of those songs are just like, like Pocahontas and uh, and Thrasher. You know, um, there's an ancient highway bending where the eagle glides descending. Uh, you know, where the the rose clip by the bullwhip and the uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the aimless blade of science slash the pearly gates. Like, it's like he's talking about going driving on the highway. Like it's just like just what these 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 expeditions of the mind, you know. And Bob Dylan, same thing. And Leonard Cohen too. And Joni. Yeah, it's just once you start listening to music like that for a little while, I couldn't listen to anything else because it was kind of unfair. It's like meeting. It's like. Uh, all of a sudden you, some of your friends are the greatest intellectuals of all time, for instance, and then you can't like talk to people. You can't go back. Yeah. You can't go back. And it's like, that's not really life. You can't just stay hanging out with those people forever. Maybe you can, right. but yeah. So it took me a while to like come back to music that where the lyrics weren't in the front, but also like the music, their kind of music when the lyrics are so important and paint such a crazy picture, I've noticed that sonically, you dial things back. You try to get like, you know, the the forms don't change. The forms are simpler. The melodies are more, um, it's more like less chorus, more like large verses with a tag. All these, all these things like facilitate more lyrics. Mm-hmm. And if you like have too many chord changes, they get in the way of the, the visual of the lyrics. But it, that's also me because of the way I see things. But um, you can't have too many chord changes. Otherwise, the lyrics start to like... Anyway, that's just for me. But if you change a chord, it's like too the color. distracting. Yeah, you change the color of the song, and then you try to say a lyric, and you're like, it's all of a sudden you're like in a different landscape. And mm. so, you know, like that standing in the doorway on the uh, time out of mind, the Bob Dylan song. It's just like that's the perfect amount of chords changing. But um, mm. the mood is pretty. It's like the same color throughout the song. It's like kind of purpley green, red, or something. 
the whole way through. And then he just like lays it on you and you just kind of go into this like uh, trance state and then just follow the story. And that that's like my, that's the best. Mm. Now I'm a bit more like trying to like get out of that. And the more, and I seem to not have trouble because my music just tends to want to go into a meditative tempo and then the lyrics are to given but i'd like to shake it up a bit like prince is really good at shaking it up mm, <laughs> you know yeah but there's still a meditative thing it's just faster you know what are you trying to do to shake it up well not even shake it up it's just that i, I basically i just started listening to prince and i'm like this is so much more fun <laughs> like to, <laughs> dance, to dance to and there's so many he still gets it all um tightly in there like it's more like i just miss um i miss the funk like there's some Bob early Bob Dylan records that have like a real like funky when he plays with the band sometimes it gets really funky and it's mm-hmm. like really really soulful. I just feel like I don't want the rhythm section to be too complacent and floating, and I try to like mm. been slowly getting it tighter. like that's your com- it seems like that's your comfort zone and you're trying to break out of it yeah it's it's also i don't know if comfort zone. I'm not comfortable there. It's it's like the natural, it's like the natural state. Like if mm, I okay. there's a, there's a song on on the new record called Change, and I and like that song sounds like nothing to me because I just wrote it in like two seconds. It's just like I could write that song. I think I've written that song a thousand times. I just those are the those songs naturally come out of me. It's like the, it's like what I eat most of the time. Like mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Like every day, like you know, if you're like a ham and eggs kind of person, you're like. A, I don't want ham and eggs every day. It's kind of like the opposite. It's like I, I'll write that song kind of every day. But like life is more interesting when you have different meals, you know. And interesting. So, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like it's kind of like that's. It's not that it's easy. It's not that it's a comfort zone or whatever. Like I just kind of open sea strumming and like just saying something. <laughs> it's so. It's very natural to me. But uh, there's a, there's so many other things that happen. Um, yeah. Well, but you know, I'm kind just of, trying. Mm-hmm. Um. It's kind of on the same notice that a little bit I read in this interview where you were talking about some songs that you found from when you were 15 or 17 years old that you seem like pretty embarrassed or ashamed of. Um, Mm. Granted, that interview that I was reading was like almost 10 years ago and things change. So how do you feel about your younger self these days? He was, I feel like my extra younger self is, is the best like six-year-old me i was like i'm like i'm coming back around to that guy because i think 12 (laughs) to 17 year old me 12 to 19 was trying to forge some sort of identity and uh Mm. and uh yeah i don't know it's funny the i i i I see myself more in my younger self than my teenage self but maybe i don't know if that's normal I think that is normal. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I that resonates with me. Yeah, before you're a bit too, you know, like, oh, this is what I need to approve upon. This is how, you know, I'm gonna go. Right. I'm gonna go read some Jean-Paul Sartre so I can be like cooler and like more like intellectual, and then because you're I'm always not, cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're, you're cooler because Jean-Paul Sartre's a fucking asshole and like a real <laughs> shitty shitty philosopher i think and like with some pretty weak ideas and a lot of stolen lines from misread heidegger you know and it's like but he was the cool one and he was the intellectual to make you seem smart and i'm like man being at the start is like the saddest period of my, <laughs> my period of my education what a right. fucking loser and he's so mean to simone and like oh man like fuck Sartre. but like for a while you think he's cool you know Anyhow. Obviously, we're talking to a philosophy major right now. Um, Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I'm sure, I'm sure I've, I went too far. You know, sorry. I just, I'm yeah, sure that well, he's yeah, not that, that bad, but, you know, not great. <laughs> everyone, you know, everyone is very complex. Mm. Um, so, all right, let's talk about Iceland. Mm-hmm. You went there to discover your Nordic roots. Is that accurate? Kind of. I was, I was a bit... Um, I wanted to go to McGill University for for university, uh, and uh, and but Ottawa U uh, offered me a scholarship, and I was like, McGill doesn't want to give me a scholarship. I'm going to go to Ottawa U, and then I was just like, I'm still in Ottawa. I grew up here my whole life, and I was like, dying to get out. Like I just 
Oh man, everyone's been there, I think. Unless you're from New York, and then that's a whole other can of worms. Because then they're like, I can't leave. And you're like, that's crazy. <laughs> didn't you ever hate it? Um, so I was like, and I didn't want to drop my degree, but I was like, I can't stay here. I'm going crazy, like seeing the same like streets. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then I was, my dad's family's Norwegian. And I was trying to see if maybe I could go to Norway to study. And then for some reason, Iceland was very um, easy. And like in Norway, like it was like maybe they weren't taking Canadians. Or, I don't remember exactly. And I just ended up being like, okay, I love Cigaros. And it's all like, it's all Norwegians. I, I went pretty far. I was like, it's Norwegians that left. Um, uh, they weren't Norwegians at the time, I guess. They were just Norse. But it's, uh, Iceland was founded by Norwegians that were like not interested in. Are you know about this? It's kind of crazy. So all these poets... And like kind of the best, <laughs> the best of the best of Norway, like poets and all these people were like against this guy, King Harold the Fine-Haired. They were, they were really not into him, like consolidating um, these kingdoms. And he was trying to become like king of all the territory, I guess. And they were like, this, we're not having this. And they just left and they like founded Iceland. So like basically all these amazing... Avant-garde pilgrims. It's crazy. No, but actually, <laughs> actually. And if you look at the history of Scandinavia, uh, the... The, uh, um, the 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 Eddas and like all these stories and all these writers, it kind of ceases in Norway and in, and and it just continues and it flourishes in Iceland, and wow. they really did. Yeah, it's really like it's like <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah, and so yeah, and even to this day, like the the artistic output of Iceland per capita is like really really insane, and like wow. people are very into poetry there and like yeah it's yeah I mean it's not like the most it's not perfect but it's really and it's really heavy so I was like I was like okay I can justify in my mind by saying like I'm just gonna go back to my roots on some level you know I'm related on some level to these people unless you see and in the end it was really great uh I learned a little Icelandic and that helped me with English because it's all Germanic and I, it was that's when I got into Bob Dylan when I was in Iceland so it was like I was oh, learning a bit of Icelandic and and like learning all my I would like literally just spend evenings just like writing out Bob Dylan song lyrics to memorize them and then go play them at the local bar. <laughs> it's like a nice it was like a formative year of um I was studying but I was also just like writing songs and yeah, it was good. It was a good good thing to to get at. Yeah. Uh, I'm also interested in how you reacted to the landscape and the colors of the country and how maybe that impacted you artistically yeah you know it's crazy like I actually get emotional thinking about it but like it's it was so beautiful it was 2005 it's a long time ago and there weren't that many tourists and now it now it kind of it really is quite um there's a lot of English signs and everything but at the time there there wasn't and it was a little bit more quiet and uh and I just shot a music video actually um a few months ago, I went back to Iceland because I was like, I had written this song and while I was writing it and singing it, I was kind of picturing this like part of Iceland called Snæfellsnes, which is poorly pronounced just now, but um, (laughs) uh, this peninsula that's gorgeous and nice like plains, some mountains and water, of course, but like some open fields and some, you know, beautiful horses. And they have their own breed of horses that have beautiful hair and they're quite short. Um, and I was just picturing when I sing that song, I kind of picture them and that scene from 2005. So I ended up going back and filming a music video there. It's coming out. I don't know when. Um, yeah. And it, and it's like, yeah, it's like very much in my subconscious. Like there's, there's something about open space that um, is mm. so healthy. It's kind of like, you know, like Dali, like, um, you know, this all the surrealists and stuff like <laughs> it, it, in the back of the painting is always this perfectly painted like maybe like a a tundra or an open landscape and then all Mm -hmm. these things happen in the foreground but the there's a hyper realistic like um open plane often where the action takes place and i and that's really to me that's so musical you know it's like a it's like the simple chord changes yeah yeah totally it's like Mm -hmm. it's it can either be lyrically it can just be like picture the open plane and then place things in it and like let things unfold or it could be as simple as like have the the drum and bass or the foundation before like things 
you know, and they, they're in the foreground and on the bottom of the sound spectrum, like the bass mm. drum and the bass are low. And in a way that's far away. There's something about, yeah, open spaces that I find extremely helpful um, mm. to, to be in. And if ever I st stay too long in a city, I just, I end up just usually going on a road trip or going somewhere because I, I, I get all claustrophobic. <laughs> so Iceland is like the ultimate cure um, or like a road trip through like Nevada or something. It's like very, oh yeah, very calming. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So you experienced a personal shift in your music on your last record, Twin Solitude. Um, can you talk about that progression as in like you didn't feel the emotion of your old songs is that right yeah i there's a yeah i i don't even know i i i, uh, I don't <laughs> yeah i just yeah oh, great question i guess <laughs> <laughs> um i just got tired of playing them i think i got there's a lot of there's a confluence of events there's also you know normal artistic self-loathing um, that's healthy, you know. Well, you know, Tom Waits says like the reason you write new songs is you get tired of the old ones. Like that's the only reason. And and I got really tired of the old ones. I got tired of strumming a guitar, like an acoustic guitar. There's something dynamically like unsatisfying. Like it just kind of it's an you know there's a difference between rhythm guitar and lead guitar. And I was always playing rhythm guitar even in my own band, and I couldn't stand it anymore because I was just mm -hmm. you're just kind of it's like doing laundry with your hands while you're singing. It's like you're not doing much, you know, and unless you're like mm -hmm. Dave Matthews and you got like all like, you know, and you're like playing lead <laughs> acoustic. It's not really my thing um, to, to play that way. Dave Matthews is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, also the rhythm section was often, I, pride, I, I like prided myself, I guess, on having the weirdest rhythm section that everything was like in 6-8 and the time would always be bending and pushing and pulling and I felt like that's how I conveyed emotion um and it, it, it it's really exhausting and it, it's it, for a while I was really into it and then all of a sudden I'm like I was like yeah I don't know all of a sudden I just ended up painting in a corner and I just was like I don't want to play this music anymore and then mm. I just was like it was weird I was just like oh am I gonna yeah I don't know I actually talking about it like kind of like I, I kind of get a little dark because I'm like what was the problem I don't know what the problem was but <laughs> basically I just was like um also I wasn't doing like the shows I was doing were wasn't that they weren't that big and so it was like okay like uh, yeah there's a lot it's hard to explain it was like a, a very complex period of my like I can't really distill it all I know is that right. at the other end I was like I'm not a folk musician. I don't even like folk music. I mean, I do, but I like it. I also love Ray Charles and I also love Motown. And my like my favorite song in the world is You Can't Hurry Love by the Supremes. And and I mean that like on like a existential, deep, dark, wonderful, like it's it's like the Sistine Chapel. Like it's so mm. good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was kind of depriving myself and I would see and I'd see bands like the Killers play and I and I would just think like I, w I remember thinking, I wish that it's too, I remember thinking, I think that was where the, mo the crystallizing moment was seeing Brandon Flowers play and he was singing, I don't know what song it was, maybe When You Were Young or something or like Read My Mind and I was just like, it's too bad I don't make music like that because that looks mm. like fun and that feels like the most wonderful thing to do on earth and, I, and it was this weird thing, I was like, well, who's, <laughs> why don't you? Why don't you make the music that makes you feel good? And and right. there was this, it was really weird. It was like, no, because I'm a folk musician and I'm trying to do this thing where I write really important quote unquote lyrics and over acoustic guitar strumming. And uh, I was like, why? And then I just started writing other songs that I preferred playing. <laughs> just, right. Uh, it's yeah. like you were, you were like, no, I'm on this path. Mm -hmm. And nobody and then, was telling yeah. me to do it. It was weird. Right. It was weird, right. you know. A lot of stuff, you know, being in your 20s, getting stuff. Does out. that happen to you often where you uh, like are so rigid with yourself about like routines or different like paths or anything like that? Mm, sometimes. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I know that like having discipline is important, but if you have a routine that is so disciplined that it becomes a drill, 
then then you're in trouble and this is there's a balance and i strive to find it mm. <laughs> yeah i had a question about synesthesia yeah 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 um is that the color thing that's what they say it could be anything it could be some i've heard that some people like uh, uh when they smell um cut grass they they feel rain and stuff like there's all kinds of capacities that, uh like you could just it's just like the any sort of intermingling or overlapping of the of, of the senses creating like mm. a, a phenomenon that's internal that's not objective does that make sense <laughs> yes yeah yeah um it's so you've you've had it yeah forever right and, and you just recently came to put a name to it yeah well yeah it was it was the best because it was, it was more it was around the time i was working on twin solitude and um the best was um i said this like a few times i feel like a broken record but um mm -hmm. this um uh string duo uh shargo that played strings on my record when i was trying to get them to to well when i got i booked a studio in new york and i had them come in without parts and i was like i was like just gonna sing them what i wanted them to do or like have them improv in certain ways and at one point it was like going okay but then at one point she's like do you mean yellow and i was like oh my god i do mean yellow and then she played yellow and i i've never had that experience mm -hmm. before and she she was like i have it too and then we had this moment and i was like oh and then the rest of the day she was like i'm gonna do it like i'm pouring water and i'm like exactly and it was just like everything was just so clear um uh was her name was charlie the uh the, the violin player and and then we talked about it and she's like and she's like can i ask you something i was like yeah she's like most jazz i'm like and we at the same time we're like brown because <laughs> there's too many because it's so there's so many colors and modes you know like it's like just say you're in like key of f and it's kind of blue and you like play in like a, a i think it's lydian or something that would be a little bit more brown like if you're you know hitting g's and b's and like and then it's like brown and blue and it when you're painting and you don't know what you're doing everything ends up brown you know because you're gonna uh -huh. you're mixing all the colors it's like the opposite of actual light where everything goes white if you mix all the colors with light but mm -hmm. if you mix it with paint it just goes black and brown and it's it's a failure you know anyhow <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so yeah it's this thing yeah and I, but i don't know how it came about or, or when it was they say that kids like all infants have it and their and then your brain develops and it separates things and some people don't but i think there's something uh, primordial about it um, because if I listen to a couple times when I've listened to somebody like Sibelius, for instance, um, I'll be caught off guard. I'll be at a, at a, at a concert and then they'll play Sibelius piece. And it's entirely different from all the other, um, pieces of, uh, on the program. And it's Is that a I, classical composer. Mm -hmm, Sibelius, yeah, he's Finnish. Yeah, he's Finnish. And he would, uh, for instance, like his concerto in D minor, the first time I heard it, I like saw an entire forest, like. And I was like, I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, well, how am I seeing wow. this? And like, and I was like, I must be like, you know, just like thinking about Finland and like, I'm just being a bit like pastiche or whatever. And then I didn't think much of it. And then the next time I heard a piece by Sibelius, um, I saw an ocean and, and uh, it was like, and I even saw like the quality of the water and like, I could see everything and I knew where it was. And it was very intense. And then when I went home, I Googled it and I was like, okay, like what's going on? Like, what, what is this piece about? And it was like everything. And I remember writing down what happened and it was like every movement was what I saw. And the only thing I didn't understand was at the beginning, there was something, there was some high flute passages. I'm like, that's so weird. That has nothing to do with water. It's like kind of floaty and high and kind of sprightly and I don't like it. And it was that he was talking, they were, these were nymphs that were dancing by the ocean, <laughs> like little yeah. like spirits. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's totally what I, that was. That's what I saw. Like it was really weird, and so cool. and then then of course he has um, Sibelius had synesthesia, and so it's this thing where like how am I seeing what he wants me to see, like and I don't see anything when I'm listening to like Mozart or like um, Beethoven a little bit, but anyhow. And then uh, same thing with uh, jazz, like Miles Davis is the only one that um, so far really every time he plays something I just I I hear it and I get it and it makes sense. And apparently he also had synesthesia, and so it's. Wow. Musicians with it organize the world according to it, and it translates. 
um, silently. And so it's re- that's for me the craziest part. It's like I can I could tell you who has it depending on what record it is. And Kanye apparently has it, and like that's crazy because his his stuff just seems like super colorful and like really clashy, but like very vibrant, like crazy reds and crazy yellows. And it's also like his album artwork is always in that in keeping with that kind of aesthetic. So it's yeah, yeah. So I think. And Sibelius was didn't tell anybody. He was it was a big secret because he he was afraid that people would think he was crazy or mad. But he thought um, that God had organized the world this way, and it was a code for him. So it's kind of kind of insane. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of but also like what's weird is that I I saw I see what he wants me to see and what he saw. So I don't know. It's a really, uh, it's a it's a really fascinating thing that I think is real. And then cooks. All my friends that are really good cooks are often the best musicians and they, they, you know, top notes of lemon are bright and, um, you know, meat is like a heavier low mid. They, all the, all the cooks that are musicians are going to talk to you about frequency response in the, in the meal and they balance it. And it's like, it's really weird. You know, it's, it's, it's it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everything's the same. You know, that's why I like going to see painters because they're, they're like doing what I want to do. And when I see a good painting, it's like, it's like finally a, a, a symphony, but music, you can't listen to it. Um, you have to listen to it in time. Any, like if you listen to a moment of music, it's actually complete silence. You need the sine wave to go up and down to hear anything. So you need to be in time where painting, there is no, it, it is a moment forever. And so it's kind of like being able to hear a note, one perfect note forever and it's that's kind of nice so I'm, i kind of gravitate more towards painters as friends and as, as you know so it's kind of nice they're like wow. more chill <laughs> oh wow um what a wild ride uh, <laughs> so wait uh the new record is new ways and it seems like a very physical album um like the most vulnerable sound from an already vulnerable sounding artist. What was your level of comfort in writing these songs and how did you approach this writing? Uh, yeah, I guess it is vulnerable. I, I, I kind of learned on the last record that, um, and I'd learned it before I've done it with other songs of mine and I just didn't realize I was doing it. Bob Dylan once said, as he got older, he had to learn to do consciously what he used to do unconsciously. And that makes that I find that I found that a quote that was really helpful for me because I used to because he, you know, he wrote all these songs and he doesn't know how he wrote them and they're amazing. And then I think when you're young, you just do it and then you you get bogged down with things as you get older and judgment and self-criticism. And when writing a song, the only thing you can't do is is start judging it because it doesn't even exist yet. You know, imagine having a child and before it's even like come out of the womb, you're disappointed and you have expectations for it. Like Mm. imagine that's a ruined life right there, you know, just see where it goes and see where it takes you. And I find that on this one, I was like, okay, I'm not, I just try it again to not edit anything and not, not um, change a lyric. And um, because the thing is, if you really don't like it, don't record it, but just see what happens when you write it and see where it goes. And I read this article the other day in a coffee shop. There was a magazine lying around. It was an interview with uh, um, uh, the guy who produced, uh, Mark Ronson, who produced Amy Winehouse. And he was saying that that's what she did. She would like write down a song and he would be in, in like 10 minutes, stream of consciousness. She'd bring it to him and he'd be like, hey, how about we change bar to like, you know, this so that it rhymes here because that word sticks out. And she's like, no, 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 no. I can't change it. I can't change any words because that's not what I wrote. And he'd be like, no, but we, it's just one word. And she'd be like, no, do you don't understand? Like, it will make everything fall apart. Like, it's not what I wrote. It's not true. Like, I must have written it for a reason. And all her lyrics, like, whenever it doesn't rhyme, it just, it actually, you, you're hanging out with Amy Winehouse. Or when she says something really lascivious or, like, um, she says something really provocative, you know, she's already, she's she's just being so honest that you just kind of, like, you're just on her side, you know, anyhow. So it's just kind of this thing where, yeah, I kind of only listened to the lyrics once, like a few months ago when it was mastered. And I was like, oh, 
Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot of lyrics. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff on this record, but I kind of was like, I can't. What am I going to do? Edit it so I'm lying? And then, or edit it so that it sounds like somebody else's song? And uh, right. sometimes, and once in a while, you'd be like, oh, maybe I'll change that word because it's sticking out. And then everything crumbles because it was actually some sort of catalyst for the following lyrics. And then maybe it had right, some it sort was of. intentional. Yeah, or. It was the exact opposite of intentional in a way. Like it was so unintentional that it was as true as possible because why would you say that? Right. You know, Do you uh, feel like sometimes, um, like I'm not a songwriter or a writer at all, but just in even in my work where uh, like I don't trust my past self, but mm. then like my past self has actually like set myself up for success for the future. It kind of like sounds <laughs> like that. Where you're like, I don't know, past self. That's that the, that line sounds weird, but it actually, yeah, you, you did it on purpose. You just forgot. Yeah, yeah, past self, future self. That's that's all heavy talk right there. I don't know. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems I don't know. There's a lot. It's probably very different than 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 in you know in your field only because there's this weird thing that you write and then you record. And then you mix and then you perform live. So there's a there's even more of this return to the self uh, that happens in <laughs> making music mm. these days. So I feel like there's it's maybe too much to reduce it to the past self and the future self because it's like mm. it's not clear who's singing a lot of the time <laughs> and who's writing a lot of the time. <laughs> and you're kind of like, I don't know. Like I I I totally hear what you're saying. I just also can't I can't distill it really it's a very strange mm. process of like yeah I don't know you're also like once you've written the lyrics I know Bob Dylan said that like once the lyrics are done the record's done he handed for time out of mind he like handed all the lyrics to to Daniel Lanois he's like do we got a record you know like we've been changed <laughs> and you know like standing in the door used to have like a blues kind of feel to it like they just changed the chords he didn't care he just wanted the you know some music for the words to go over and it works um but yeah, like the producing of it is like a whole other thing. You get to like angle things. You get to like emphasize this aspect or that aspect. And you can change, you know, like I Dream a Highway is such a beautiful song. If you change the melody, none of the none of the images are, are the same. So it's this, mm -hmm. this very alchemical thing with the intonation and lyrics and, and then, you know, the self and the future self and the perceived <laughs> self and the actual self and the, the eternal self and the, you know, it's like... Oh, man, that's what's so crazy about it. That's why it's so addictive, writing songs and playing music. It's just like, you don't know what it is. Help me solve the mystery of transatlantic flight. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, I didn't understand what it was about for till a few months ago. I think I got closer. Well, like not what it's about, but it seems like so familiar. It's like reminding me of a lot of other songs. Oh yeah, if you did that intentionally or not? Like, it sounds like a hundred Van Morrison songs oh, in yeah. one. I got that a lot. I forgot about that. Um, that's deep in me. I listen to Astro Weeks maybe like I only listen to records like on repeat. Uh, mm -hmm. Like if I listen to a record, I will listen to it maybe two hundred times, three hundred times, and then mm -hmm. I know every note, and then I move on. I listen to Madame George maybe the most, one of the most listened to songs in my life. That song off of Astro Weeks, and uh, and uh, my favorite. There's a lot of moments. There's a lot of moments, but my favorite thing ever is. He starts singing this melody at the at the end, and he's just humming, and then the the string quartet picks up the melody and starts playing the same melody as when he's humming it, and then just mm. takes it into like outer space, and he stops singing it in the string quartet. So, but how it worked is it was a live take, and then someone arranged the strings later in a different session. So it's kind of 
interesting, but the way that they make it seem is they make it, you know, when you're listening to a record, you're not like, oh, that was the overdub session. This was the live take, <laughs> right? You know, right. it just feels alive. And the string, I forget. I don't know if it's, I don't remember who arranged the strings. I definitely probably looked them up to see if they were still doing it. Um, <laughs> but I just love that moment of uh, he's off the cuff singing. And all of a sudden, then there's a whole string section playing that exact melody in the same feel. And so it's almost like he's anticipating the melody of the strings that are coming in. And so it just feels like everything just kind of swirls. And uh, it just seems, I just, it, I don't know. It just, ta- it's, I can't describe it. It's just my, it just makes me melt. And I was mm-hmm. just, and uh, when I recorded this song, I was like, I was hearing songs like that. And I always wanted to have strings be that loose. And so then I was like, I just kind of, and it was supposed to be this fade out. And then when I listened to it, I was like, oh my God, I hear strings here. And then I realized that I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm going to have the string players sing the exact melody that I, I, I sang off the cuff that day. And it just, it's so crazy. It's the best feeling ever to have the string players play something that's so not um, linear, you know, with all the, like, yeah, I don't know. There's a huge Astro Weeks thing too. I, I told my drummer, I said, we did, he got it right away. I was just like, think talk talk and he's like okay and then we just <laughs> it was the first take totally nailed the drum sound then we did another take a few months later because i didn't like um my performance but it was the same it was really simple he just like god he's such a he's just so good olivier fairfield he's just a, such a great drummer um that's awesome. a lot of stuff that song it wasn't on purpose again like if i was doing it on purpose i wouldn't have done it because i would have been like oh i'm stealing from this or that's already been done or whatever. I just kind of did it. And then we just sat back and we're like, what is this? And it wasn't supposed to be that long. It was supposed to be this little fade out, but then. Right. It's like six minutes long. It's like almost seven, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, it was just supposed to be a fade out. But then it, um, whenever I faded it out, it felt unresolved. And when I tried to edit it, I spent a few months like doing editing sessions to try to cut out verses just so that it wouldn't be seven minutes. And it didn't work because the tempo was changing and, it was wild. It actually turned into like this, it's like the song itself is about time expanding and contracting. <laughs> it's not about, <laughs> it's not actually supposed to be, it's actually a, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, it's like if they filmed Boyhood and they didn't, you know, they were like, well, why don't we do it without the boy growing up? <laughs> you know, and we just, you know, it would be that. It's like, you know, you just need a ton of time. Right, and right, that's, right. The song is about somehow about that yeah it looks like you made up the time some of the other songs are under three minutes yeah yeah totally so you did you did very good (laughs) thanks yeah in in distributing the amounts of time Mm. um okay so uh will you do this kind of silly thing that we do on the podcast called the lightning round oh sure um these are like quick one word answers here we go all right what is the first song you learned on the guitar uh, Aerosmith, uh, crazy. Wow. Um, lakes or beaches? Lakes. What is your karaoke song? I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Again, Aerosmith. Oh man, it's big. <laughs> um, dogs or cats or something else? Dogs. What is your coffee order? Um, depends. I I really like long blacks in Australia and I tried to import it. It's the perfect coffee. What is that? <laughs> exactly. It's like non-americano <laughs> and it's not a double espresso long. It's like somewhere between it's the, it's the perfect coffee. The What's Aussies the know. Al- yeah. First album you bought with your own money. Uh, Beatles 20 Greatest Hits. But it was a cassette tape because we worn out the other one. <laughs> nice. Uh, first concert. Um, moist. Uh, uh, moist. <laughs> this Canadian band at the, they're playing at the end. Uh, at the exhibition. <laughs> How old were you? I don't know. I, I was really young. I think I was maybe like 13, maybe. What's your dream collaboration? Mm, Ray Charles. <laughs> Favorite type of white noise? Ooh. Uh, uh, maybe, ooh, ooh. Wind rustling through trees at a cottage. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Star Trek or Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Star Trek Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the most beautiful place you've ever visited? 
Oh, wow. Maybe this Hindu temple in New Delhi. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. That's it. That's the lightning round. <laughs> I'm glad it ended on such a nice image for me. It was yes. so nice. They were so... It was, it was like Christmas. It felt like Christmas mixed with like summer camp mixed with last right. day of school and it was just like a regular saturday it was the craziest it was <laughs> yeah and your mind is being blown and they're like we just live here yeah it was just crazy <laughs> i was just man kind of like religion without any like heads is like the way to do it i guess there's still there's just no pope I feel like the pope right. made things complicated for everybody yeah <laughs> or not pope's great i don't know hello christian <laughs> listeners <laughs> and on that note yeah. um Thanks so much for taking so much time. Um, I really love your new record. I wish that you would score my life. Um, <laughs> and I will see you in Boston. Absolutely. Come, come oh, home. yeah. Amazing. I think it just sold out. I got a text about it a couple of days ago. So I think it'll Great. be a good show. Yeah. Great. Good. Yeah. What a lovely person. Leif Volebeck. Again, his new album, New Ways, is out now. I want to say thanks to producer Laura McCarthy with assistance from Adam Corey. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople does our music, including our brand new theme song, which you uh, are hearing now and you heard at the beginning of the podcast. We're so pumped. Um, I'm Cindy Howes. I host the podcast. And I'll be December 9th at Club Passim. Um, for Basic Folk Live, and you can check my website. Mostly, most likely, my social media will have information on that. But check my website for Basic Folk Hats, CindyHouse.net. You can also sign up for the email list. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and there's a Facebook group called Basic Folk Basics. I think I got everything. We'll be off for Thanksgiving next week. I hope you have a safe and fun holiday. And we'll talk to you first week of December. Okay, bye.